Hi, I'm a helpful Southern California Honda person. And recently, we've been doing random acts of helpfulness, like buying gifts for families and bringing a daughter in the Navy home for the holidays. And during the Happy Honda Day sales event, we can help you too with a great deal on an award-winning Honda, like the Accord, a 2017 car and driver 10 best a record 31 times. Click the dealer locator link to find a dealer near you and go to SoCalHondaDealers.com to suggest a random act of helpfulness for someone you know. Car and Driver, January 2017. Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I am your host, Michelle Berard, founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor, LLC, and I'm so, so very happy to share this hour with you. In this hour, we're going to examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. Those of you who've been listening for a while already know this. Somewhere in the Middle is intended to be a safe place where we can learn and grow together. We discuss a variety of topics ranging from love to politics to money, business, and beyond. And that's because the human experience is wide and varied. And I know you have a lot to share with us as well. So we don't want to just talk at you for about an hour. I want you to feel free participating and engaging with us. So I want to hear from you. Get your questions and comments ready, because as we get toward the end of the show, I'm going to be taking calls from our audience. Now, you guys know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows exploring life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. I also want to give a shout-out to my last guest, Diane A. Sears. She is the uh, 
founder of In Search of Fatherhood or managing editor of uh, In Search of Fatherhood, a quarterly international fatherhood and men's issues journal. She's also host of In Search of Fatherhood, one of Tribe Family Channel's family of shows. You can connect with Diane Sears on Facebook and look for her online. If you missed the last show, make sure you listen to the replay. Diane shared tons and tons and tons of valuable information, and especially about programs for fathers who are incarcerated around uh, the country. You can get to that replay by visiting Tribe Family Channel online and checking out the show recording. And you're going to want to look for the December 1st show. I also want to give a shout-out to Bruce George of the Geniuses Common Movement which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. It is so very important that we share this message with our youth, and not just with the youth. We all need to be reminded that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Genius is Common movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. Now, guys, I am really, really excited to introduce my guest tonight. Julia Black is a freelance writer and editor with more than a decade of experience in technical writing and editing in the corporate world, creatively writing stories and poetry and teaching writing and grammar. These skills merge in her blog writing, which has been featured on offbeatbride.com and offbeathome.com. While on this writing and editing path, Julia found herself studying metaphysical spirituality, which eventually led to an energy healing and life coaching practice. The combination of these occupations creates two well-rounded practices that benefit from one another. As a natural empath, energy healing further helps her to see each client's specific struggles and she incorporates writing and creative activities for each client to help them work through their energy blocks for spiritual healing. So I'd like to welcome Ms. Julia Black to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. Thank you, Julia, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, um, you already know, well, we probably discussed this a little because you and I talk offline, and you know I like to start an interview with two questions. And the reason I use these two questions is because I believe they lead right into what you're doing and why you're doing it. So here are my two questions, Julia. Who are you and how did you become who you are today? Well, that's a loaded question. Those are some very loaded questions. Um, (laughs) I, um, (laughs) um, I think at, at my core, um, I'm a writer who kind of merged into editing pretty naturally, but then um, through my own writing kind of dis- discovered that I actually was on a spiritual path and it kind of helped me just discover my own spirituality and my own um, kind of purpose and, and um, kind of place in the world. Um, and the way that I got here, um, I think like everybody, um, it, it kind of became a product of kind of everything 
uh, that's happened to me in my life, both traumatic and good. Um, there's been, you know, everybody has their trials and stuff. I've had quite a few um, that kind of brought me to this point. Um, I've, you know, I was, I was, <laughs> I was a kid that was what we would call it bullying, but I was a kid that was bullied, or it was that's what it would be known as now. I never, I, I for some reason that that term doesn't strike me as appropriate, but we, that's semantics, and that's me being the writer. Um, so I was bullied as a kid, um, and then you know had kind of emotionally abusive relationships um, that I was in uh, and, you know, other things, divorce and infertility struggles and all kinds of things. But through all of that, there was also really good things. I have an incredible family. Um, I really like what I do. I'm very good at what I do, I think. Um, And kind of found that – you know, it all just kind of guided me to where I am now. Wow. Well, that's a lot. I mean, so, you know, it brings up a lot of questions for me. So now you've got this practice, right? Mm-hmm. But do you think that, do you think that maybe some of this comes out of your desire to heal yourself as well as others? I mean, how does the healing process work? Um, I think, yeah, no, I think, I think with me, everything, everything with me, every kind of interaction I have, I try and, you know, really not, maybe not everything, maybe not, you know, going to the supermarket, but I really try to, um, for anything kind of big, I really kind of try to reflect on where I'm at, um, and what I can learn from it. So, um, and I kind of started with journaling, you know, when you're when you're that kid that that um, that no one really talks to or that everyone torments or teases or whatever. You're silenced really early, um, and I didn't. I found that it was much easier for me just not to speak, so I didn't. Um, but also found that I was very. My brain never really stopped, so I started journaling. My my first journals are mortifying but I was eight when I started them um and have had journals like for more than 30 years now so that kind of guided me on the process I think um and so whenever there's something good or bad that I feel like I need to process I immediately go to a journal and kind of write it all down so I can I can work my way through it and so all of my all of my friends, all of my clients, everybody hears me talk about journaling because I think um, I think it actually is really, really powerful. I think it's really helpful um, because in a lot of ways you can kind of work through your own stuff and figure things out and kind of release all the kind of negativity and emotions and stuff at the same time. So you started journaling at eight. Yeah, I was eight. And I still have all of them. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. So did that feed into the creative writing as well? Yeah, I think so. There were also, um, you know, I also was an avid reader. So I think between the two, that's kind of what started the process. Um, 
you know, with po with poetry with initially really terrible poetry. Um, and then, um, <laughs> as is always the case when you start writing poetry, yeah. it starts out being really terrible. Um, and then it kind of, you know, I think once I, uh, really found my voice, um, it kind of started to become a lot more introspective and thoughtful. I think everything that I write is really thoughtful. Um, mm-hmm. and I kind yeah, so I just, short stories just kind of started coming because again, I, I always had my nose in a book or I always had a journal open. It seemed, you know, if I had kind of pictures in my head of how I wanted a story to be or how I want or how I thought a poem should go, it was easy enough for me to just jot it down while I was journaling and then kind of move on. And then when I went back to some of them, found that, Hey, these aren't, these aren't half, you know, half bad. Mm-hmm. I think it all just kind of helped form the whole thing. So I want to I want to ask you more about being bullied as a kid because you know bullying is a huge issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know for our society right now, especially. I mean, all I can say is thank God there was no internet uh, <laughs> thirty years ago yeah. for us to be on there. Because it seems like uh, kids today have it way rougher in a way because they can't even just go home and get away from it, right? No. Right. <laughs> but seriously, do you? How do you feel that the being bullied as a kid led into, or did it lead into other issues later? Do you think? Because you mentioned that you had been through emotionally abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. Do you think that in some ways that bullying may have tied? into that and kind of almost like a feeder system <laughs> you know um, I don't know if I would call it a feeder system as much as it it had, it had kind of tapped all my self-esteem so mm-hmm. you know there the, the I was never physically bullied it was all everything was kind of tormenting and really terrible teasing um, and a lot of a lot of you know comments about how how ugly I was and, and that kind of a thing. Um, so, yeah, I think that, I think it absolutely led to kind of the low self-esteem so that when I did get approached by this person who ended up being later emotionally abusive, um, I didn't really, my self-esteem was so low or almost non-existent that I didn't really feel like I deserved any better because, I had very few friends, and um, I couldn't, I had no frame of reference for, you know, what what was appropriate. Gotcha. I mean, I guess so, actually now that I stop and think about it, I mean, my parents were always great. Um, my parents mm-hmm. have a very healthy Um, very kind of loving marriage so I mean that model was there but because my self-esteem was so low I didn't like there was a part of me that felt like I was never going to be able to get that does that make sense yeah totally and what it makes me wonder is so I mean at the time did you have any girlfriends or family members or anyone who said oh Julia this guy's kind of you know did you have anybody Oh, oh they all said it they all, they all, they all said it. My parents were, I was in high school at the time. My parents were not happy. Um, they, but they were kind of limited too, because, 
I went to private school that was relatively far from home. Um, so I had to drive there. So they couldn't really keep a super tight leash on me because I had to be driving to school. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think, you know, they did try. They they talked to him. I, you know, I have this memory of my dad um, yelling at my ex-boyfriend on the phone because he had upset me oh. so badly. Um, and, you know, so, the, I mean, they punished me often. They told me I couldn't talk to him. Um, and we wrote letters. And, you know, there was just wow. a lot of stuff that they really did try. I had a very early curfew, um, much earlier than my sister or brother after me. Um and that, I think, was all part of them trying to rein it in a little bit, mm-hmm. or as much as they could. See, now that's interesting to me because, you know, I think sometimes as parents we think, you know, if I can just get control of this situation, but at a certain age it's really hard. You can't really control your kids at a certain point, and then it's it's where you have to do your best to protect them, but you can't fight everything that they're doing. So how how did your parents eventually respond? Did they just keep going at this until you um, broke up with this guy or what? How did that? Pretty, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think to the extent that they were able, they, you know, they did. Um, You know, my mom was, you know, really encouraged me. Um, because she, because there were other, there were other things that limited me too, because I went to school so far, I didn't have any friends that were in the immediate area. Um, everybody was 10 miles or so away. So, um, and I had people that I hung out with school, but no one that I was super, I think, open with to the point where they really, where I felt like I could really talk to them about what was going on and because it was abusive and controlling there was a lot of control over who I could talk to um about what was going on and who I couldn't so um whenever you're in any kind of abusive relationship there is an there's an element of control um and what the the term that I've come to learn is gaslighting um where you kind of get to the point where you where you feel like you can't um, where you don't even you don't trust anything that you think um, you don't you you're essentially broken down so much that you don't trust your own instincts you don't trust your own thoughts you don't trust your own kind of way of, of going through everything in the end you kind of keep asking for permission of what you can and can't do. So um, for all those reasons, I was pretty isolated. But my parents tried really hard um, to get me out. So I had cousins that were in the area that went to a kind of brother school. I went to an all-girls school. So my cousins went to a brother school. Uh, My mom set it up with my aunt that I went to basketball games and stuff with them. So I'd go to basketball games and I'd spend the night with them. Uh, or at my aunt's house. Um, And so I did get more kind of interactions with, uh, with other people my age, but 
Um, you know, but it was hard. I think I think yeah. it would have been easier if there were people if there if I had more really close friends that were nearby. Right, right. Yeah, because the, the the friend group ends up being that support system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so if, if you your have... friends were mostly away, that you know, farther away, that's harder to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think people that have really close social circles, um, where everything's open and you've known each other forever, I think there's there's a um, there's a trust there that you have. So that if somebody does start to to abuse abuse if somebody is starting to get abused, then the friends can co- chime in and go, "Hey, this isn't right," you, you know. And there's enough strength and help to get you mm-hmm. kind of through that. Well, and then gaslighting in particular is is really interesting. So, I happen upon an article about gaslighting in a relationship. And I know some people don't like psychology today because they say it's pop psychology, but I think it's a way of explaining certain things to people, you know, to people without being overly full of jargon and stuff that, you know, we we might not understand as lay people. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that people who are gaslighting you do is they will tell you lies. Like you'll know it's a lie. They'll know it's a lie, but they just lie to you over and over and over again. Or they'll deny they said things, or you know they'll use whatever it is that's dear to you to use as ammunition, and then they just wear you down over time. And there's a whole lot mm-hmm. more to this, but I think there's a certain danger, particularly at that vulnerable age, you know, in high school, or early college, to get into these kinds of relationships. What kinds of things would you recommend for? women in particular, but anyone really, to look for as, as warning signs that they're getting into a relationship that's kind of tricky and maybe maybe borderline or becoming abusive emotionally or physically? Um, I would say anything where there is a um, too much concern about doing things without them there going out with friends mm. or, um, you know, or getting, or getting upset if you, you know, not even if you weren't supposed, let's just say that you weren't supposed to meet this person at all, but you say that you're going out with your friends and then you get home an hour late and them getting very angry um, and calling you a liar and saying, oh, well, you, you, you know, whenever there's not a lot of trust, Um, and they start questioning whether or not you're trustworthy, I think that is a major red flag Um, because I think people that, you know, for me, I wanted wanted to feel like um, I was trusted. And so, or I wanted him, I wanted him to believe that I – really did care for him and I really and I wouldn't do anything to hurt him so the second that he got really upset I would try and prove that um that I was loyal to him and that I was honorable and that I was telling the truth and that 
started the cycle when I could have just said, if you're not going to trust me, like, why are you even here? Right, right. You know? So it creates a negative feedback loop because the more you try to make this Mm -hmm. person trust you or, you know, or understand that you care for them or whatever, and they then they respond negatively and then you feed into that more. Mm-hmm. So how does the journaling help with, you know, processing some of these things? You know, let's say that you're, you know, particularly for young people, but again, really this could happen to any of us guys. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. uh, I'm becoming of a certain age. I'm not going to own that completely, but, (laughs) uh, you know, this can happen to any of us at any stage of our lives, but particularly in those years of such uncertainty when we're, when we're younger, we can establish what I call negative. I I call those negative relationship habits. And when I start seeing those Mm -hmm. um, developing, I'm like, whoa, 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 something's got to give. But how would someone Mm -hmm. who doesn't recognize that right away, maybe use journaling to help them? Um, I think, With journaling, what I really like about journaling is that um, you, it is truly you. When you are there and you are journaling, you are not influenced by anyone else. So you're not dealing with anybody else's energy. You're not trying to bounce something off somebody and seeing what their facial expressions are. It is truly just you kind of having a conversation and working your way through it. And that's when you learn what you are okay with and what you are not okay with. So particularly if you go back. So if you go back to a journal, and for me, every time I go back through a journal, there's this anxiety involved. Um, But I think it's always really good because, I can see my whole thought process. I can see at the be- even now I can look back at it and go, oh, I knew at the beginning when I sat down how, how this was going to end. I knew how I felt about it even though mm-hmm. I had to kind of write my way through it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And it's so almost like when there's a certain amount of you, wisdom there. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, there's different religious traditions will talk about it differently. Um, you know, in Christianity, they say it's the Holy Spirit is kind of speaking through you when you're in more of the metaphysical kind of new age stuff. They'll talk about spirit guides or your higher self. But I think whatever your tradition is that defines it, I think when you are journaling, all of those channels kind of open up and it helps to really create the clarity so that you understand. Well, now that's another um, tool that I like to recommend for people because of working through fear, right? And you're a writer, so you understand what Mm -hmm. I mean. It is scary putting your work out there. It is Mm -hmm. terrifying because you're, you're on a certain level, you're saying, okay, world judge me. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You know, whether it's for the thought or the, the con you know, the content or for the way that content is communicated or that thought is communicated. So mm-hmm. I think journaling is a great tool for working through fear as well. What mm-hmm. other things like when you work with your clients, what other kinds of issues are they working through and how do they use journaling? Um it can be anything from just regular anxiety. Um, 
you know, to, you know, where you, you know, you're anxious or you worry or you're, you know, something you're overly anxious about something happening to your partner or you're overly anxious about, about your kids getting hurt or something like that, where you can just take it and start writing out your anxieties um, and then really stop and think and go, okay, is this ever going to really, you know, is, is, is my anxiety more important than why this is important for my kid or my partner or whoever? Um, and that kind of helps to work to help you realize what your feelings are and how they're just kind of not, they're not, as, I don't want to say they're not as important as much as they're not, they're not productive. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing if you, let's say, your kid wants to go bungee jumping, right? So <laughs> there's, you know, there's an element of danger, which is likely why your kid wants to go bungee jumping. Um, but there is also a lot of safety involved in bungee, bungee jumping. So there has to be a, there has to be a balance there between, um, you know, your own anxieties to, and your, your not anxieties, but your own need to protect your child and their need to make the decision to do it. Um, so it helps with anxiety. I think it helps with anything where you're just in a situation that is that you have to be in that's difficult. Um, you know, where you have to, you know, it's the holidays and everybody, some people have an easier time than others spending time with family, but they kind of feel an obligation and feel like they have to do it. Journaling can help with that Mm -hmm. because then you can, I really truly believe that as you journal, whatever your emotions are kind of get out when you journal, it's a way to express them so that you can kind of move to the next thing. What do you mean by move to the next thing? Um, So that you can like, so if we go back to the, you know, hanging out with your family around the holidays, if you don't like doing it, <laughs> you can journal through your emotions about it and then go, okay, yes, here's all of the things that I, here are all the reasons why I don't want to go. Here are the reasons why I should go. And then once you've figured out that you should go or whatever decision that you need to make, then you can when your emotions are out and you've expressed them, it's easier to make a decision that's clear. You can see where, where the way to go is. So are you, are you finding that most of your clients are dealing with some sort of anxiety right now? And I ask this because I feel like we're an extremely anxious people in this country right now, in the United yeah. States. We're all nervous wrecks right now. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of anxiety. I mean, the last, yeah, there's a lot of anxiety going on. Um, Even if it's something, you know, like they are working with family members and aren't super happy working where they're working, but because there's family members involved, they don't feel like they can kind of move on from there. 
So even mm. something like that, where there's right. not necessarily anxiety involved, there's enough um, because of that fear or because of that other thing. But, yeah, I, I'm seeing a lot of anxiety these days, a lot of it. And um, is it in the holiday season in particular can bring mm-hmm. up a lot of issues for people, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, ranging from things when they were kids to just, like, divisive politics. What, what kinds yeah. of things would you recommend people? Are there certain exercises or anything, journaling exercises that you might recommend for people? You know, I think, um, I think if you get – I think if you get it down there, that should be enough at least to get you going. But I think one of the things about I we're gonna um, I I created this this kind of online class that hasn't necessarily gone live yet, but I'll probably do it in the next couple of months. Um, that's gonna actually take you through a whole six weeks of dealing with something either traumatic or something that you're anxious about. And you can write a story about it uh, with characters who would be kind of like you um, and like the other people involved in whatever the issue is. And then you Mm -hmm. can kind of use that as a scapegoat almost and resolve the issue and tie it up in a nice little bow. um, And then you can kind of be done with it and set it aside. Um, I actually think that's a really good way to go. You could just kind of write a whole story, write a, you know, a whole scenario. Here's how it would go if my, you know, my uncle or my cousin has different, has differing politics than I do. Let's go through the whole, the worst case, the worst case conversation that we could have. And how would it turn out? And is that really that bad? Um, I remember I was in therapy for a long time, dealing with all of my, <laughs> all of my, all of the, all of the stuff that I had to go through. Um, but one of the things that uh, my therapist always said to me was, whenever there was anxiety involved or fear involved or something, she'd go, "Okay, let's take the worst case, go all the way to the end. Is it? Are you still alive? Yeah." Are you in danger? No. Is it really that bad? No. Okay. And that kind of was enough for me to make the realization that, okay, we can we can try this. Um, right. Sometimes right, right. the answer is sometimes the answer is yes, I'm in danger. If the answer is yes, you're in danger, then don't do it. Um, you know, because it's important to it's still important to kind of acknowledge dangerous situations or situations where your gut is telling you that you shouldn't do something. Um, But there still has to be the whole evaluation about it, I think. Part of the thing with anxiety is that you just kind of keep spinning. Well, then this could happen, and then this could happen, and then this could happen, and you just kind of keep on this downward spiral about all the possible things, all the terrible things that could happen that you don't even really stop and think about all the good things that could come out of it. Right. Because even out of that contentious family dinner, maybe there could be some greater understanding, mutual Mm -hmm. respect, 
yeah. and other good things that come out of it. Yeah, or maybe, or maybe you know, your family member has changed his or her mind. Um, maybe not about everything, but maybe you can mm-hmm. come to an agreement on something. You know, yeah, this one particular politician, yeah, what he did was not okay. You know, you can find common right. ground. You know, or if you know that they're not that they're not ever going to really listen, that they're they just wanna they just let you speak so that they can then get their point across and don't even then you can just say, I don't think I want to talk politics with you right now. Which is also just, a valid that's also a valid uh, approach, right? You don't you mm-hmm. don't have to engage. Mm-mm. No. You can say I appreciate your opinion, and we know that my opinions are very different, so let's just not even go there. Let's talk about something that we can discuss. Well, you know, you mentioned something you talked about, you know, sometimes your gut kind of tells you you're in a a tricky situation, you know, or, Mm -hmm. or you might be in a dangerous situation or possibly about to enter that. And you also mentioned... Um, how with journaling, it's just you, and that's where what some might call your genius or what certain spiritual traditions might call Holy Spirit or spirit guides mm. or or spirit helpers or something like that speaking through you and that wisdom coming through. How can people tap into that gut instinct, that that spirit guide, if you will, or Holy Spirit, on a more regular basis, a more day-to-day basis without it necessarily being let me sit down and journal for 30 minutes or whatever it is? You know, this is an interesting question. This is something that that, um, that I suggest a lot of people do. And I forget, oh, a friend of mine was telling me, I met him 10 years ago, um, and he talked about how he was, um, he was, he was bullied as a kid as well. His bullying type of stuff was more physical, um, so he would get beat up on, you know, bicycle rides home and stuff. And what his dad told him to do was, before he left in the before he left school or before he left for school from home to go to school in the morning, stop and think about all of the possible routes you can take, and then and just kind of take your brain and imagine going there and whichever one looks the most clear or feels the most right is the one you should take because that Mm. is your spirit guide genius holy spirit whatever you want to call it that is them telling you how to be safe um and i kind of took that a, a little bit further, and I suggest regularly to people who have, who do want to get more in touch with their kind of higher self or their intuition or their gut feelings, is just to kind of do that on your way home. Go out driving or do it on the weekend when you have time and you're not, you don't feel like you're all in a rush, but drive around and kind of look around. And then if you feel the need to kind of go somewhere, then go. And it may be, you know, like there. This happens to me. This this has happened to me 
a lot where I just kind of go, really? You want me to go to Goodwill right now? Okay, I'll go to the Goodwill store, and I'll walk around, and I'll find something that I've been looking for forever, you know, <laughs> or I'll find, you know, or I'll, or I'll decide to go to an estate sale and find books that I've been looking for that are hard to find, and there they are for $3 in a box in somebody's, in somebody's driveway. So there's a lot of those kinds of things. And sometimes there won't be anything. Sometimes you can just kind of feel like you need to get off the freeway or feel like you need to go somewhere and you walk around and go, okay, there's nothing here. So, and that's okay too, because you haven't really, as long as you have the time, you're just paying attention to kind of your own inner voice, mm-hmm. you know? So, and it uh, sounds like a way to kind of tap into and almost train yourself to hear that inner voice. Mhm, and that that I think is the most important thing because we don't we don't really stop to try and hear it. There's we're constantly barraged with ads and music and everything. There's always noise. So if you stop and you kind of pay attention to what it feels like, and you kind of start seeing all of these coincidences, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. um, you'll see that there's a pattern. And then you'll understand what it feels, what what it's like when your when your spirit guides or your higher self is telling you where to go. Um, and particularly for people who have been abused or gaslighted or bullied or any of those things, where you're taught that your own your own instincts are wrong um, or bad, that is a really good way. To pay attention and kind of reevaluate and see what your intuition is really trying to tell you. Yeah, because if you've been gaslighted, then you have to learn how to trust yourself again, trust your judgment mm-hmm. again. Yeah, you really do. It takes a very long time. Um, and I think a lot of people, it's very easy to. Um, and by the time, if you have been gaslighted, um, and you have been in any kind of abusive relationship, um, you won't know what your own brain is telling you. Like you, like, you know, that your brain is constantly moving and that's the only thing that you're kind of allowed. Um, but that doesn't mean, but you're still taught to suppress it. So it's important to make sure that you stop suppressing it or listen so that you understand what the difference is. So if you've had this negative feedback loop, this pattern established in a relationship, and mm-hmm. you start working on yourself, because really you can't change anybody else, right? You can only yeah. change how you respond and what you're willing to accept. How does that tend to, do you know, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, do you find that this tends to push the other person to behave differently? Or does it, what does it tend to do in terms of the relationship or or the dynamic I in the relationship? That I don't know. I haven't, mm-hmm. I haven't tried to um, suggest this to anyone that was in an actively abusive relationship. Um, it's mostly for people that 
um, would, that have already been gaslighted or that um, are ju- just want to just want to sift through kind of the noise and find their own intuition. Um, I would think that um, it would create two possible issues. One where the the gaslighting partner is getting more and more threatened because you're starting to think for yourself um, or one where they um, are starting to appreciate what you have to say. Um, but I can't imagine in abusive relationships that the latter is something that happens very often. But I don't know. So you're definitely gonna you're definitely gonna need some support then if you try to implement any of this while you're in the course of that kind of relationship. But you mainly have been working with are people who have kind of come out of those relationships yes. one way or another, and these are techniques that they use to kind of evaluate and reset themselves. Yes. Yes, I think I think definitely if you're going to do it while um, you're still actively in a in a gaslighting type gaslighting or abusive type situation, you definitely want to make sure you have support um, and that um, you know you have places to go if it comes to a head and you know all of that. You you kind of have a safe place to be. Um, mm-hmm. Or I mean. It's still possible to do it, though. Just do it in a way where it's not threatening or do it in, to the other person or do it in a way so that it's beneficial to them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Pay attention to, you know, do it while you're out with them and go, hey, you know, we have time. We don't need to be anywhere. Let's go do this instead um, and listen to that voice and kind of see how it works with the relationship. Um But if yeah. they get too much pushback, they should definitely be careful. Yeah. And okay, and seek assistance, seek resources. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I think well, with anybody, anybody who's in any kind of relationship where um, their voice, their voice is being suppressed, um, I think it's important to find support um, because. It's too much to have all on your own, and it's important to be to make sure that there are people that pay attention to and are, and find your opinion important. Um, right. So, what about even in the body physically? Because you also are a Reiki practitioner. Yep. And you've done a Reiki session on me, so guys, just you know, I don't tell people to do stuff that I don't personally do or would wouldn't do. <laughs> I'm a, I am a big <laughs> proponent of that, and I have had Reiki with Julia, and she's phenomenal. But oh, how did you. you find that? You're welcome. <laughs> how do you find that some of those things that stress that anxiety can present itself in the body as far as the energy field is concerned? Um, 
Well, it can it can um, it can manifest in a lot of different ways. I think, um, you know, I, it's different depending on the person. That's I think part of the reason why energy healing doesn't get a whole lot of um, positive support in kind of mainstream in the mainstream is because because it's different for every person. There's not a whole lot of kind of science behind it, or the science is. There is science behind it, but I think the science is inconsistent. So people think that it's, you know, this kind of magical thing that doesn't really work, uh, which I don't think is true. Um, Because energy healing, a perfect example of how energy healing can help is something like an ulcer, right? It's commonly Mm -hmm. known among Western medicine and everybody, you know, this is commonly known that ulcers are caused by stress. So, um and in people that have ulcers, that's where they hold their stress. They hold it in their middle. Um, generally, the middle is the solar plexus chakra that generally ha- handles kind of your ego and how you view yourself, which is why kind of the stereotype of people that get ulcers are people that are type A, really kind of workaholic type of people. Um, mm-hmm. It's because part of them is defined by their job, and so they feel like they need to keep working and working and working, and it creates this. Um, we would say a block in that field. And so um, energy healing can help see the block and kind of dissipate the block. And then, um, and then what I do, um, not all, not all Reiki practitioners do this, but what I do is I always discuss that, discuss kind of the blocks that I saw and then give, exercises and homework and things that you can do to help keep it open. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, one Reiki session is not going to, is not going to heal someone that's got an ulcer. Um, And if you're not going to work through your own stuff, energy healing isn't going to help you at all. Um, You can come to me every, you know, you can come to me every week or every month for the rest of your life. But if you're not going to change anything in your life, whatever is in your life that's creating it, it's not going to, it's not going to be effective in the long term. Right, um, right. But I, th- but I think people hold stress in their bodies in different places. So, um, and then depending on what kind of problems you're having in your life at the time, that's where it will it'll manifest in the chakra that that governs that. So, for example, if you are We'll go back to this abuse example. If you have um, someone that is silencing you in some way, then that will automatically kind of create a a block in your throat chakra. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we can do a session and we can, I can kind of open, or we, we together would open things up and then we would talk about, how you can make sure that your voice is heard. And sometimes it doesn't have to be actually speaking. Sometimes it's journaling. Sometimes it's, um, you know, putting your foot down and saying no. Or Mm. it can be a lot of different things. But that can eventually, I think, if, if you don't have these blocks cleared and you don't work through the issues, it can, um, I think it's possible that it can lead to illness. You know, if you have, if you get 
tonsillitis regularly or if you have, um, you know, I don't know, goiters in your neck or something, those Mm -hmm. can all be manifestations of a block in your throat chakra. Well, and I remember this was always my sign that it was ready to, it was time to leave a job when I started getting strep throat. Mm-hmm. When I was younger, mm-hmm. I would get, that's when it's like, nope, time to go because I've got, because I, I don't otherwise get sick, but I would get sick from stress and I would get strep throat. And, you know, that horrible throat pain that you get mm-hmm. when you have strep throat. And mm-hmm. it was, I think, kind of that manifestation, a physical manifestation of my keeping my mouth shut when I was stressed out and frustrated. Right. <laughs> work you know yeah yeah you know I I absolutely think that do I think every single illness you know there are people there are people who believe that every single illness that you have is because of some blocks that you need to work through I'm not sure I believe that um you know I mean even down to like if you if you wear glasses it's because you have a block from a previous lifetime that you need to work through um I'm not sure I believe that um, it doesn't mean that I won't work my way to believe that in the future, but um, for right now, I think it's just, I think it's important to just kind of work through um, the issues that are there just so that you can kind of create a healthy lifestyle. Because dealing with, what I've also found is that so many people don't really deal with problems that occur. Um, it's so easy because we are all so busy. It is so easy to just kind of go, I won't just kind of take the, the Scarlett O'Hara route and say, I'll just think about that tomorrow. I'll deal with that mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. I have work to do. And then you never really deal with it. And then everything just piles up. And so that that could be part of what what causes these energy blockages is just not mm-hmm. dealing with anything and yeah. kind of pushing off the side, just kind of pushing through. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, and sometimes you do, sometimes you actually have to just kind of push through because it's not appropriate. Right. So if you're out at the mall shopping for Christmas presents and then all of a sudden you, you know, you're reminded of something and you start bawling in the middle of the mall. I mean, that's not necessarily an appropriate place. I'm sure it's fine, but it's not, but you're not going to be able to really think through and kind of deal with your emotions while you're out in public. You still have to get yourself home and all of that stuff. So there are appropriate times for it, but you need to make sure that you give yourself space to deal with it. Right. Right. right, And if we just keep staying busy and busy and busy, okay, well now we got to do this and now we got to do this and now we got to do this and we don't, ever give ourselves the space to deal with it, then it's, then it's going to manifest, um, then it's going to manifest in the body somehow until your body forces you to deal with it. Right. Then maybe you get sick, you're laid out for a week. Yeah. Or hopefully yeah, I mean, not you, longer than that. Well, yeah, I mean, it was like, and, 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 and this happens, this happens, you know, like this happened to me in college all the time at the end of every semester Almost always the week of finals, I'd get sick mm. because I was so stressed out the whole semester. 
I I didn't deal with it. I didn't kind of deal with anything that was going on. So by the end of the semester, I'd get sick. Um, sometimes it happened during finals. Sometimes it happened like right after. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I was laid up in bed and I was forced and I was like, okay, forced to deal with all my stuff. Yeah, because then you're forced into quiet time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Julia, I'm going to see if we have a couple of callers that might have uh, questions or comments for us. Let's see. Okay. Um, area code 949. Do you have a question or a comment for Julia Black? Area code 949. Do you have a comment or question? Okay, I don't think we can hear it. Um, 949. Let's see. Area code. Let's see. Area code 818. Do you have a comment or a question for Julia Black? Okay, I'm not hearing them. I don't know if they're they're lines not, are muted. I'm not, yeah, I'm not hearing anything either. Okay, I think the lines might be muted. So, well, we're coming to the top of the hour, so I'm going to um, ask you, what do you have going on that you want our listeners to know about? Well, um, I've got, I, like I mentioned earlier, I've got a, um, a six-week class that will go up at the beginning of the year um, that is spiritual healing through storytelling. And I will um, kind of guide you through dealing with a traumatic event. You'll write a you'll write a story of some sort, and you'll kind of deal with a traumatic event uh, through the characters in your story to kind of work your way through whatever event occurred in your life. Um, and we'll, um, you know, that will go up, like I said, at the beginning of the year. Um, and if you check back um, on my website, sacredashhealing.com. Um, you'll be able to to get that eventually, kind of starting at the beginning of the year. Um, you can also, if you're in Southern California, you're welcome to um, book an energy healing session with me. Or if you need something edited, you can book something like that. You can, you know, we can we can do a consultation that way. Or if you're across the country and you want kind of life coaching type stuff, where I can we can talk about problems that you have and and journaling exercises and things that you can do to kind of work your way through that, we can do that too. And all of that can be um, booked through the website. Very cool. Very cool. So that's, let's see, it's Sacred Ash. Say it again. Sacred Ash Healing. So S-A-C-R-E-D-A-S-H healing.com. And it's, yeah. Yeah. And you also have articles that you've um, you've been blogging. You've had your writing featured, and mm-hmm. me, um, so I actually got to read one of your articles, and it was really really good. So that's offbeatbride.com and offbeathome.com are places where mm-hmm. folks can read some of your writing, some of your um, thoughts on different matters. Yes. And, and do you have your own blog? 
Um, not yet, but I will likely start one soon. Um, up at Sacred Ash Healing, uh, it can, it can all be found there. Uh, you can see me on. I'm on Instagram at Sacred Ash Healing, so you can catch me there. So every time I post a blog or something, I'll I'll kind of put it up there um, with the link, so you can check it out. Very cool. Very cool. So everybody, make sure that you follow Julia Black on Instagram. Uh, go to her website sacredashhealing.com, and get, get a session with her because three key sessions alone are worth the price of admission, guys. Fabulous, fabulous. And you want to clear those blockages if you have them. And even if you don't have any blockages, I think getting energy work done is so helpful just in terms of making sure the energy is flowing well and also it's god-awful relaxing. I'm sorry. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> It's true. It's very relaxing. But what I can tell you about energy healing that I think is important is that even even if things haven't manifested in your body, that doesn't mean that there isn't stress there. And that's something that I generally can see when we put you on when when I'm working on you is that I can look at the blocks and I can go. Uh, you know, and I can say, okay, well, you had a block on this chakra, which means that you likely have problems going on with, you know, if, you know, like, so if you have a block in your, in your root chakra, it's like, okay, you're probably having money problems or you're having problems with your parents or you're having problems with a family member. Um, and that sometimes is all the trigger that you need to realize, oh, yeah, there's something that I haven't been dealing with, so let me deal with it. Yeah, and that's super important, guys. And maybe mm-hmm. um, we can get you back at some point after the new year to talk about the chakras in particular and, yeah. and what kinds of what corresponds and so forth, because a lot of people don't really know that. I, folks, there's so much knowledge here that, that we really need to think about because, you know, just because it's not, uh, you know, coming from some doctor at Harvard Medical or something like that doesn't mean it's, it's not valid. And we really need to look at some of these more ancient traditions and, and ancient wisdom because the body is more than just, you know, blood and guts. There's actual electrical energy flowing through your body. Mm-hmm. We've got to got to really understand that. So, guys, yeah. that's, that's pretty much the end of our show. Julia, thank you so much for joining me on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. Thanks for having me. Um, guys, you can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Make sure you send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. You guys know I like when you send me information like topics that you want to uh, hear about on the show. Again, I want to give a big, big, big shout out to Beverly Black, Tribe Family Channel, and all the members of Tribe Family Channel. It is a pleasure and an honor to be a part of it. You guys be good. Stay mindful and remain prayerful. And I will see you guys again on Tribe Family Channel Friday, December 29th, right before the end of the year. I still can't believe it's like the end of the year already. 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Mountain, and 5 p.m. Pacific. And my guest will be financial and tax guru, Stephen Hutchinson. Peace and blessings, y'all. Peace and blessings.
Hi, I'm a helpful Southern California Honda person. And recently, we've been doing random acts of helpfulness, like buying gifts for families and bringing a daughter in the Navy home for the holidays. And during the Happy Honda Day sales event, we can help you too with a great deal on an award-winning Honda, like the Accord, a 2017 car and driver 10 best a record 31 times. Click the dealer locator link to find a dealer near you and go to SoCalHondaDealers.com to suggest a random act of helpfulness for someone you know. Car and driver, January 2017. Hi, I'm a helpful Southern California Honda person. And recently, we've been doing random acts of helpfulness, like buying gifts for families and bringing a daughter in the Navy home for the holidays. And during the Happy Honda Day sales event, we can help you too with a great deal on an award-winning Honda, like the Accord, a 2017 car and driver 10 best a record 31 times. Click the dealer locator link to find a dealer near you and go to SoCalHondaDealers.com to suggest a random act of helpfulness for someone you know. Car and driver, January 2017.